Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I'm here on my own with our guest, and I am first going to tell you a little bit about the sponsor of the show. BCGI Barron Consulting Group, an executive search firm dedicated to the real estate industry. Since 1995, Robert Barron and BCGI have completed over 1,000 searches on behalf of developers, investors, occupiers, and lenders across North America. Their scope includes acquisitions, development, asset management, finance, corporate real estate, and board directors. BCGI has established partnerships with pension funds, REITs, fund managers searching for talent. They are a trusted source for career advice and guidance for real estate professionals in North America. BCGI can be reached at www.bcgi.ca. So we have a fantastic guest again today. Our guest has been the CEO of Almadev since 2015 and sits on its board of directors. Almadev is a leading real estate development, investment, and asset management company with master plan communities, mixed-use developments, and commercial properties across North America. He was responsible for the redevelopment of the Emerald City project and the acquisition of several master plan communities, including the Galleria on the Park, 3300 Rutherford, and Lansing Square, totaling over 10,000 units. He also spearheaded the acquisition of a Jalen REIT, which holds over 6.5 million square feet of industrial and commercial properties in the U.S. and Canada. Before joining Almadev, Laser served as CFO of an international cargo shipping company. He also worked as a CPA at EY Israel, auditing large publicly traded and privately held companies. Laser holds a degree in economics and accounting from the University of Haifa, Israel, and an MBA with financial management specialization from the University of Tel Aviv. Welcome to the show, Raphael Laser. Hi, glad to be here. <laughs> How did I do? How did I do? Did I, nail, did I nail the bio there? Most of it. Most of it you got it right, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So we like to, you know, start from the beginning. We got a little bit of flavor about your career, but let's let's kind of take it back to the to the beginning. You grew up in obviously in Israel, you had attended university uh, there. What were you thinking about as a career at that time? So my so my story starts in a, in a, I want to say a small town, but you know in Israeli standards it's probably the equivalent of, a, of Hamilton, I would say uh, here. So it's a quiet city, uh, and I, I found my way uh, into the finance uh, world uh, first from the CPA um, angle. So you know you got your degree, I got my designation, I started working for Ernst and Young, as you said, and working on. Um, international companies and that kind of got the international flair going in me so my next natural step was moving on to a cargo shipping line which also is <laughs> super international as you can imagine yeah. with cargo going all over the place um, and uh, throughout this exercise I also got my MBA as you mentioned and and then the opportunity knocked on my door to basically um, set up the audit department for the Caribbean and Central American district of, of uh, Zim, that, that cargo shipping line where I was working. Uh, and that meant a relocation to Miami, Florida. So it took me about five minutes to say, sure. <laughs> and, and I packed and I found my, I, I was like 29. And I, I traveled to, to Florida. I spent there about three years. And it was, it was a great time. 
Um, my next movie. Single at the time? I uh, know. I was. I was married. I should. I should have started with that. I should have. Should thank you for for saving me right now. No, no. So I got married in Israel, and I even got my firstborn uh, in Israel. My second was already born in Florida, and the third one was. Uh, born here in Canada. So wow. I'm a proud okay. father of, of three and happily married to my beautiful wife. Yeah. So um, uh, the next step was to move to Hong Kong where I spent about uh, almost two years, uh, just over a year and a half, uh, basically running the financial operations of Zim in the Far East. And you can wow. imagine the Far East is, is quite extensive for uh, a cargo shipping. Yeah. Everything moves from the Far East, um, from China and India and the likes into uh, Europe and, and, and Canada. That was a nice gig. And then at some point I felt that's enough for me. Uh, with the, I want something different. Um, Canada was always on my horizon as a desired destination. I'm one of those skilled worker, I guess, uh, good stories. Um, one of many, many, many other stories. Uh, I came here with my PR and the rest is history. Started as the CFO for a lot and moved on. Okay, perfect, perfect. But before I move on to, to, to Allied Canada and, and what you're doing, I have to ask, there's a lot of talk about supply chains and logistics over the last three years. Um, you know, maybe just give us a little bit of flavor about working at an international shipping company. Is So so I, I guess it, it's different type. It's, uh, the, the, one of the nicer things about working in, in the shipping industry is that you kind of get to see the future. So people don't know that, but most of the stuff that folks buy around Christmas time actually ships early in the summer. So the, the, the scale of the shipping that takes place, let's say in July, June, July, and August is really an indication of what the retailers expect to be um, the, the, you know, uh, the purchase uh, activity okay. around, around the year end. So if there's, for example, a recession or, or concerns of, of something of the likes, usually the shipping guys will see that in advance. They will see a decline in shipping. So that's kind of, um, you know, sometimes when, when, especially in these times when everybody's talking about, will there be a recession? Will there not be a recession? Sometimes I make a phone call to my guys yeah. to say, hey, how, <laughs> what do you guys see going? How's the, how's the stuff going? And it, it kind of gives me an, an insight. But we experience Experience a whole different type of, of logistics and supply chain difficulties. We being the development industry, uh, it starts from the, the labor shortage. It moves on to, to material and supplies and appliances and systems. And, and it's really throughout. So it's really challenging to be able to, to build a quality product with a reasonable budget and yet uh, be able to... to to sell it in such a way that you can actually make a profit and still keep it, you know, reasonably affordable uh, f uh, to acquire. These are very, very challenging times for the industry. I can tell you that. So let's, you know, tell us how you ended up in Canada. So you, you're, you're working at the shipping company. You were, you were, kind of ready to uh, make a change. Did they recruit you? Did were you, you know, seeking out? Did a friend tell you about it? How did it ultimately come out that you ended up at a Canadian development company? Well. Canadian arm of an international development company. So, so I, I have a bit of a confession, and, and I hope uh, uh, our, my Canadian friends will forgive me. So <laughs> after living in, in, in Florida for a few years, I was pretty much at that point in love, intoxicated with the, with the American dream. <laughs> and all I cared about was, this is where I want to raise my family. I want, I want to live in North America. And after spending some time in Hong Kong, that feeling um, uh, got even stronger. I realized that, you know, my place for my family, the best place where I want to grow my family and live is in North America. And I thought, you know what? 
Canada sounds like a nice place. It might be a bit shitty, but it sounds like a nice place. It's as close <laughs> as possible as I can get to the US right now. Let's just start there and see how it goes. Little did I know that I will fall in love with the city of Toronto. And you know, many years later, I had multiple, multiple opportunities to move anywhere I want in North America. And I declined them politely because our home is Toronto and this is where my family lives and this is where I want to live. And I fell in love with this country and I fell in love with the city, but it wasn't how it was intended to begin. Yeah. So small confession. Okay, okay, gotcha. So, so let's, you know, maybe let's fast forward uh, because I know this is a really interesting story and, and, and uh, it's something that doesn't happen very regularly in, uh, in the, the Toronto context, but a, but a development company getting sold. Yep. So, you know, you led the acquisition of, you know, of the, the Canadian operations of LAD, uh, which uh, obviously has been renamed Almadev. I heard the deal almost died a couple times. Tell us a bit about, you know, why the company is for sale, who Restor Management is, and, you know, what the process, the, the sure, sales sure, process sure. is all so, about. So we leapfrog a couple of a couple of years. So we <laughs> yeah. had a very, it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 we're not going complete chronological yes. order, but yeah, I think okay. this is an, an interesting place to start. No, that's okay. That's okay. It's kind of, it just, you know, we, we were... Uh, we had a couple of cycles in, in what used to be known as a lot Canada Realty. We were a privately owned company, then we became a public company, then we became private again, then we became public again. Wow. When I say public, I mean in Israeli um, uh, market. It was very, very, very uh, common for us to have those those large uh, structural uh, changes, and, and we grew. And, and as you mentioned, we we took took over a REIT called the Jelen and, and gained over six and a half million square feet of industrial and office uh, assets uh, in the US. We we acquired the Galleria project that is now known as Galleria on the Park, a very successful uh, project. We bought Lansing Square, which is, has become a LSQ, a continual development of, of Emerald City on Shepherd and Don Mills and Cité uh, Nature and the other projects we have in Montreal. And we also own uh, a very large portfolio of anchor producing assets in Canada and everything was well. We're actually about to embark on a large capital market transaction in Israel. Uh, we were ready to go. I got my ticket flight booked. I got my hotel booked. Uh, we got all the meetings set up with the investors. I was ready to go and then COVID. Yeah. So COVID kind of put a, uh, a stop in all of our plans. We were very um, well balanced uh, company always. We've made sure that we always have the stamina to withstand uh, tough times, and that was one of those cases where it proved to be very, very uh, effective. So we were actually not in any trouble internally from any business perspective. Our projects continued to build, our financing was all in place, our income producing portfolio was actually yielding remarkable collection uh, throughout COVID. You know, we didn't have any of those major problems, tenants going away, rents not paid. We actually had a very up, up in the 90, with 94, 96, 95% collection rate. So we're, we're doing very, very well financially. Um, unfortunately, uh, the holding company of, at the time, Alaska Canada Realty, its wealth was mostly uh, surrounded around the oil and gas industry. And as that industry collapsed during COVID, and you may recall there were times where you were paid to buy, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> buy oil. Oil price was almost yeah. negative, right? So that, yeah. that, that 
kind of created some pressure uh, from various uh, various reasons, as can be a, a understood, to um, dispose of some of the better assets that the group had uh, in its real estate group in order to really uh, uh, withstand the storm on the other front. So I guess we were put on the uh, on the shelf uh, for sale, and I thought initially it's going to be a relatively small, not not a very you know, extensive exercise. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people said, okay, I make a few phone calls. We're such a great company. Everybody would jump and we would do it. But it is probably true in normal times. It's a bit more difficult under a uh, COVID regime. So, um, you know, I was even foolish enough not to hire a broker to represent me. <laughs> and said, oh, I can do this. You know, yeah. I, I, I can do the presentations. So, as you say, yada, 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 80 uh, NDAs later, <laughs> I've spoken to everybody <laughs> on this planet marketing this company. Um, it was very, very long days. They started at 6 a.m., they ended at, at, at 1 a.m. for months and months and months. Uh, from Australia through Europe, the Middle East, and of course North America, um, and lots of all the big names. I cannot mention them, but you can imagine every major big name asset um, uh, holder owner uh, that you can imagine. You name it, I probably presented to them. <laughs> um, it was a successful exercise. We had serious offers from very uh, nice groups. Uh, one was eventually uh, the winning bid. Uh, and that was, at the end of the day, uh, Rester uh, Management, and that bid that took the company. At the time, I mean, this, the, the, the transaction was comprised of a certain amount being paid uh, on closing and continuous amounts being paid in the future in accordance with certain um, milestones that are uh, to be achieved. And all of those milestones, I can say, some have already been achieved and paid, and some are, are about to be achieved and will be achieved in the future. All in all, we're talking about way north of half a billion dollar uh, for the company, which, especially considering the atmosphere at the time, it was yeah. it was signed yeah. COVID. There was there was no even we didn't even have the vaccine yet. At that point, okay, there was <laughs> wow. no COVID vaccine. This is the time that the economic atmosphere where we we have to deal with. That's a tremendous success. I'm very proud of of, of that transaction. I'm sad to leave my. Um, I was set to leave my previous uh, shareholder. We have great times together, but I'm beyond excited with the new ownership group. They've been uh, uh, amazing so far and, and very dedicated, not only to the continuation of our business, but also to uh, the growth of our company. Uh, as you mentioned, we have acquired a new site in Vaughan. We are literally, as we speak, about to acquire another one, and we're looking into several others. And we expedite the, the construction and, and the process of all of the other sites. Uh, so I think uh, at the end of the day, when you look at it from um, from a selfish, uh, what is best for uh, then Elad Canada or today Almadev, this has been a very good move for everyone. I would I would think. Yeah. Wow. That's that's interesting story. I didn't have any of the backstory on on that. So that's really interesting. So I had spent some time working with um, with a U.S. based private equity firm that was looking to buy the Canadian arm of Monarch, and this is probably going back 10, 12 years, uh, and, and they found it very difficult to value you know, the future development assets. I know a smaller development company called uh, VHL was on sale a few years back. I don't know if that ever if it even changed hands. So why don't you think there's more 
sales of development companies? Is it just you know they're all passed down you know to the to the children? Is is there any reason why 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 there's not more transactions of development companies? Very good question. So there's probably more than one answer to this. One one answer would be um, it's very hard to put a number on the on the real value of a development company. Mm-hmm. As a CEO of a development company, as a developer, a developer at heart, as an entrepreneur, as a visionary, what I see on my sites, it's going to be hard to convince a buyer uh, to see the same value. Even if they will see the same value, they won't, mm-hmm. be, put, won't be prepared to put a price on it. Yeah. So we look at the future. We see what Toronto needs to be 10, maybe 20 years from now. Uh, investors usually do the other way. They look, okay, what, what did somebody buy for this five years ago? What did he do 10 years ago? So sometimes there's a gap, a time gap here that, that puts up uh, a problem on, on valuations. Um, I think also the way that the industry is built, most of the development companies are actually um, on the, have a large group of investors. It's usually, they're usually doing um, uh, fairly well in terms of, of access to uh, to funds, they're not usually public companies. They're not usually one of those uh, entities that are more prone to be taken over. Uh, those exercises are a bit harder when you talk about private companies yeah. that have a lot of stack uh, in its uh, equity. Um, I, I would imagine that would be mostly the case. And you're right; there is the family sense of it, and, and things. You know, my grandma was a developer, and and, and now the grandkid is right. Yeah, so yeah. so you, you have that. We're actually fortunate not to have those. Uh, constraints. We're not owned in any way, shape, or form by any uh, institutional investor. Uh, it's mostly private, uh, office, family office money, a, a bunch of family offices, and and I'm 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 blessed to have a group of investors that actually have a very similar view on the strategy and 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 going forward of this company. So um, you know, I, I think that's really really the uniqueness of us in terms of uh, the capital stack. So. When we look at an investment, I'm not tied to capital markets. I'm not yeah. tied to a specific bank. Uh, if it makes sense between the sources available to us as a company, our own sources from all the cash that we're generating, uh, and the ability of our shareholders to uh, to provide additional investment as needed, we're well capitalized. So we, you know, better better place to take on opportunities, I would say, than many others. Interesting. Interesting. And so, you know, going back to that that first part of the first question, I had heard through the grapevine that some of the, you know, the Monarch employees were not happy with the direction of the new ownership. Did you have to, you know, sit down with your employees and say, well, you know, things are going to stay the same or we're going to do things different? Like, did you have to do the grand speech, you know, uh, or it was just business as usual? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I did. Um, you know, you get so caught up, as I said, in, in a transaction and, and you're so caught up in, in, in the models and the legals and the negotiation. And as you mentioned, it was a tough deal that, that lived and died a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and at some point, I, 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 I realized I didn't fully comprehend the impact it has on the staff, on the teams. Uh, my teams are the best. I, I, I don't mind saying that. My teams are the best in the market. That's at least how I feel about them. But the process by, by, by its character requires a lot of confidentiality. And they started to hear rumors and there were like a piece in a you know, website or something in the papers <laughs> and like, uh, okay, are we getting sold? What does it mean? Are we getting fired? Are we getting, like, what's, what's going on? And I, as much as I could, I could not really share a lot of it. So once 
the moment came and I was actually able to share everything. So yes, I did have the talk. I'm happy to say that we were able to keep most of our team and, and certainly most of our of our key personnel. There were some that uh, decided to move elsewhere or that were uh, moved elsewhere. It's the nature of M&A, mm-hmm. uh, you know, consolidations of of of, of uh, entities. But but the vast majority of our staff of our team uh, remained. We even had a couple uh, that came back. Um, so I'm, I'm very. I think by now. Um, everybody understands that, that, as I said before, it was a very positive move for the company as a company. Uh, we actually we actually get to continue to do exactly what we do. One of the things that our shareholders told us is, we bought a company because you were doing so great. So just yeah. keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't have to change tremendously the way we do. Our modus operandi did not really change that much. Um, yes, there are other you know, differences. Um, and maybe we put a bit more focus on certain things that we didn't put as much before and a bit less on others. But overall, we get to, to continue run this, this, this train to its destination and it didn't require a lot of, uh, at the end of the day. But yeah. there was a, a period in time where, yeah, I was really feeling it from my team. Yeah, for sure. So you, you, you did mention uh, briefly there that, that, that Alad had been a public company and then a private company. Were there any were there ever any discussions about taking Allied Canada public, or in um, and if so, you know what happened? And then you know because there's you know several public you know residential development companies in the United States, and here obviously outside the REITs there's really none. So I'm just curious your you know kind of thoughts on that <laughs> that rambling question yeah. there. No, I, I I hear you, and and it's it's. It's one of those things that we keep thinking about. So, you know, one thing is is the nature of the company and the other thing is the geographic location of it. And, and you need a lot of things to work together in a splendid way for that to be a successful exercise in capital markets. And you need to choose the right market uh, uh, that will give the most valuation and the most flexibility and the best float for your, uh, for your stock. So the answer is yes. At the time, we did uh, explore, consider to take uh, a lot Canada realty uh, to the couple of markets, but you know, when I say public company, I meant we have public debt. So yeah. um, it's in terms of reporting requirement, it's or you know, um, uh, corporate control and everything. It's it's pretty much the same thing. Okay, uh, very very close to it. But we actually we're gonna do the next step and actually move to having our shares issued uh, in the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange in Israel. Yeah. That was the best place for us. Uh, we found uh, at the time. And this is this, this famous transaction I told you about before that was cut short because of COVID. So yeah. we, had, we had our valuations, we had everything ready, we had huh. our meeting set and, and um, we're ready to go and, and we just had to pull the plug on it and, and basically it died. So uh, the thought of going uh, public crossed our mind, but you have to understand that we are a bit of a different bird. So we keep talking about development, but as you, as you mentioned before, we are actually a, a hybrid. Yeah. Half of our activity is development in Toronto and Montreal, and the other half is actually income-producing assets in both Canada and the US. Not only that, it's also spread across several uh, asset classes. So we have industrial, and we have retail, and we have office, and we have residential, and we have a bunch of others. So it's very, very difficult when you talk about a couple of markets to, to put our stock in a certain bucket. Yeah. Um, we kind of, are we developers or are we asset 
owners and managers? Are we, what are we? Are we a REIT or are we, it, it's very, very difficult to, to peg it. And that results in, in, uh, uh, in, in basically only certain markets being, I don't want to say sophisticated because I don't want to imply that the others are not, but it's just the way they're structured, better structured, I would say, yeah. rather, yeah. Uh, to give them the, the maximum value for a company. We found that to be in the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange in Israel. I strongly support that market and strongly urge those that are interested to explore that market. Um, and that's what we were planning to do. And so unfortunately, it was cut short, but the plan is still there and the plan is still good. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think people fundamentally understand you know, income producing properties, but to understand development and especially the types of developments that your guys are involved in and not just we're buying one square property and building one high rise tower. It's a, you know, massive master plan communities. It's with, even more with, so. It even goes beyond that. Because, like, you know, we spoke about before about, about my efforts to, to sell the company at the time. Uh, um, so, you know, you, you meet uh, U.S. investors, okay, and they, they love your U.S. portfolio, but they don't know how to wrap their heads around the Canadian portfolio. And you meet Canadian investors and they say, oh, we love your Canadian development. We, we got all that, but what are we going to do with the U.S. investor? <laughs> it's so hard to find not only the, the business class, but also the geographical diversity. We think diversity is our strength much more. Much like in our community, yeah. also in the business. Um, but when you go to capital markets, you need to be a bit more specific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so I think I, I told so. the story. I met with a, a large publicly traded, you know, U.S. development company that, uh, you know, one of the uh, you know Canadian equity providers was trying to bring into Canada to start developing, and uh, and so they wanted to meet with a, you know, a third party per expert on the condo market. And so I sat down with them. I was explaining to them the, you know, that seventy percent of the unit at the time we're selling to investors and they're selling within three to six months and only 30% of the units are end users and uh, you know the buildings don't move forward till you know they they've they've uh, you know sold 70 80% of the, the revenue in the building they just could not wrap their heads around yeah. that they thought that was the craziest thing ever this investor model will never work it's a short-term fad values won't continue to go up the way that they they are and that was you know 15, 16 years ago, right? So, uh, very interesting because if they had got, they said if they had got 20% of sales before they broke ground, that was a huge success for them. <laughs> right. It's the way it's built. I, I'm assuming they were from the US. Yeah, uh, they're US yeah, based. Yeah, that, that's the US uh, system. So, you're at 15 years ago, um, you know, when you were a US developer, and we know because our, our parent company also had developments in, the, in New York, in Florida. Um, the bank would actually be, in a way, your partner, right? Because you come, you present it with a very nice uh, business plan and you show them a nice budget and you show them, like you said, 10 or maybe 20% of sales and say, okay, we're in, Here's, you know, <laughs> let's go. Then when, when projects started failing in 08 and 09, then the banks were less happy because they were super exposed because they, yeah. they uh, you know, were partners for, for the good and the bad. So when the project went bad, they were, they were super exposed and that wasn't very good for them. Then you, they looked north and, and saw Canadian banks doing just perfectly fine because yeah. the Canadian bank would not put a dollar before they know that <laughs> most of its debt is already uh, is going to be paid out with yeah. net, reali net realizable sales yeah. coming out uh, and, and that most of the budget is secured. It's beyond just being some piece of document budget. It's, it's actually uh, secured, prices secured, uh, contracts with subtrades and, and so on. So uh, what used to be maybe a matter of, of, of uh, of uh, maybe uh, pokes uh, south of the border, I think after the 08, 09, and the subsequent um, um, 
periods, I think the transition into an admiration of how the Canadian system is actually working. Yeah. Uh, it takes maybe a bit longer to get to put shovel in the ground, but you know that it's safe. You know that in vast majority it's going to get built. The last dollar will be by the bank, so you know whether the developer is good or bad. It's going to get built. Yeah. And uh, the system proved, proved its resilience throughout the worst possible economic turmoil yeah. that, that we, we knew in the 15. And I, I can't say that to my... Uh, on my uh, U.S. peers. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, had been, I don't think they should. They will be laughing now. I was this. I was promoted to president of a, of a uh, uh, executive vice president of a company in in Q1 of 20, uh, 2009. So right when the, the global financial oh, crisis hit, and I was like, oh my god, this Timing is, is be, everything. This is going to be terrible. You know, the world is crashing, and you know, by the second quarter of 20, of two thousand nine. We set a record for resales in that quarter. So basically, just everyone that didn't buy in the first quarter that sat on their hands went and bought in the in the second quarter. We were, we were off to the races again. So pretty pretty amazing how resilient our real estate market is. And and you know just even looking at the numbers now after what are we at eight interest rate increases. Yeah. My resale numbers are still looking pretty good. The days on market still pretty low in, in many of the areas of the GTA. So we have such uh, uh, amazing demands. But uh, let me let, let me see what else I had had for you on on um, you know I, th I just think it was so interesting. You know the things that you guys are doing versus uh, versus the other Canadian developers. Okay, let's jump into this. You you talked it a little bit about it, but. You know, I, when we when I chatted with uh, with with Jacob Ifta um, on one of our previous podcasts, he said it's very different. You know, real estate financing models with you know with with uh, with Israeli companies. They have public market debt. They have private funds in the capital stack. Maybe for you know the layperson, how is uh, Almadev financing their projects? Maybe different than a than a typical you know Canadian developer with a one-off site. Say, so today you know uh, Almadev is. is we're not engaged in the in the capital markets in Israel, so I don't think there will be much of a difference today, okay. per se. But I think your question relates to how we used to do it when we were more yeah. engaged in capital markets. So yeah, um, uh, we, we do have some engagement though. So I wasn't completely uh, uh, right. Um, there's the, the Israeli capital markets is very sophisticated, and because it's so sophisticated, you you often find that they get it. They have their, they get the entrepreneurship behind the numbers, so they don't just stick to the dry numbers necessarily. Uh, if you have the right story, if the numbers uh, uh, make sense, even if they're not exactly there, then you may have access to very uh, relatively cheap. Uh, money it does come with constraints, with very significant reporting requirements, much more than you you're uh, accustomed to uh, in the Canadian and even in the U.S. Uh, regime. But if you can, what we call a, a pharmacy type of uh, reporting, if you can get your, your 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 team to be able to meet those those deadlines and those reporting requirements, then you have access to almost an endless amount of relatively cheaper. Uh, cheaper cost money compared to anything else you can get in the States yeah. uh, or, in, or in Canada. So this is why you see um, periods of a of, of, uh, lot of groups, companies flocking into the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. Uh, and I guess the most efficient instrument there would be uh, the bonds, um, the publicly traded bonds, which, as I alluded to before, require you to have almost the same uh, corporate discipline and reporting requirement uh, of of a, of a real listed company, um, 
but it does give you this access to this instrument called publicly traded bonds, which is not very uh, evolved here in Canada or yeah. in the U.S. for that matter. Yeah. So if you don't want to put your shares in the market, you don't want to go into the REIT structure, you just want to get pop, cheap public debt, then that's one venue that, that uh, if you have any way, any access to that market, you should definitely explore. Even in today's current environment, you'll find that the rates... Uh, in the Israeli uh, market, uh, security uh, market would probably be significantly lower huh. than the ones that we see here. So it's 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 very interesting. We used it to buy land. We used that to fund uh, when needed the uh, net proceeds loans. Um, acquisition of Agellan was in part uh, funded by by such an instrument. So it, it it does give you a bit of a room. Um, they're very flexible in the sense of they can be expanded. So if you have an X amount of debt and now there's a new opportunity, you can actually uh, enhance the, the series and add, add more funds to the same series. So it's almost, if everything goes well, it's almost like having your own line of credit, your nice. couple of markets line of credit. So that, that is a bit different than what a lot of companies have. Again, today we're, we're, back to the private market and again we're, we're very we're a very sound company from financial perspective so we don't rely a lot on 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 external debt and 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 the likes um but it's definitely something that's in our uh, longer term uh, plan to to get back into for okay. sure interesting interesting so let's you know we we, we danced around the the you know the acquisition of uh, Agellans, but so so ultimately how did you how did that opportunity come to you to get involved in, you know, office, industrial, commercial, in the United States? That seems a little off what the what the typical uh, direction of the company was. Yeah. So we we um, uh, you know one of those things that happened with a development company is that our revenue comes in cycles. So you close a block and you get a lot of money coming your way, and then mm-hmm. there's periods where you're not closing, you're sitting construction, and, and and there's nothing coming in. So we we were at a point where we we started to get a significant amount of of, of uh, money, and we wanted to keep it in our company to deploy and continue nourish the, the, the you know the the growth of our of our company. And at that time, um, land values compared to what you can do with those type of of, of activities started to not make as much sense at the time that, that the cap rates for income producing assets were actually higher and, and kind of made a bit more sense. And we were always, always a hybrid. We always like to be balanced in a way that we have what I call income producing assets, producing stable NOI, that what I call pays the bills. And then you have your extra money coming from the development, which is for the growth and acquisitions and all the exciting stuff that you like to do. Uh, so we were looking for that. We're a bit low on that front at the time because we sold a lot of our portfolio very successfully. We sold our Parkway Place uh, portfolio. We sold our, our Olympic Village uh, portfolio. Our, uh, um, we, we owned a lot of um, senior homes, which we've sold. So we had the cash, uh, which is we didn't have a good way to deploy it. And we were looking for targets that would be interesting to to get. We didn't even know we we're going to take over the whole thing. It was just a matter to deploy money in a sensible way. Uh, Agellan was among the few that attracted my attention. I actually just Google started getting data and said, oh, that's interesting. Then, we, of course, we hired the group, paid a lot of money, and they came with the same conclusion. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll take the credit that I, I actually found it uh, half an hour after I was instructed to find a target. So uh, it, was, it was appealing because it had uh, a, a relatively easy capital stack to acquire with uh, several mid-owners and not, you know, um, 
you know you have the poison pill and you have a lot of a lot of restrictions uh, that make it more difficult to to take over certain um, uh, structures equity structures so that it actually had a very convenient structure to take over uh, we love the us we knew all about the us activities we had very successful um, asset management and um, transactions in the us before that so we felt very comfortable in that market even though we're from toronto and um it was it was suffering. The REIT was suffering, not because its assets were not good or the management was not good. And in fact, it's the opposite: great assets and amazing management. It's because it was um, a REIT that had U.S. assets in a Canadian capital market, so there was some dissonance there. It was too small to be publicly traded in the U.S. markets. Uh, and it was not big enough to be very, very interesting in the Canadian market. So it was kind of cut in a place where it's neither the, neither here nor there, and it, it, it impacted its valuation. So it, we found that, it, that it's, it's a good economic opportunity to get uh, really uh, class A assets at, at uh, a reduced price because just the equity was traded below below fair market value. So after we identified the target, we we started uh, you know uh, making the phone calls, and, and we were able to get a large block of shares, which made us the largest shareholders of the REIT at the time. Um, and obviously, it, it was a very lengthy process, and, and, and at least at the beginning, was not very, very um, friendly. I don't like, I don't like to use... <laughs> was a hostile, a hostile I, I, takeover? I don't like to use words like a hostile takeover, <laughs> but it, it sure as hell wasn't friendly. Yeah. So, so we did, um, you know... We, I, I got my board seat. That was a battle, and then there was a couple of of of, of tug of wars with with the then management of the company, uh, the management company of the company, and the other board members who were basically uh, working for that management company. <laughs> very good people, but it was a very um, difficult relationship to begin. It it got along better uh, with time, and again on a personal level, I admire each and every one of those individuals. But but uh, for Almadev or Alad Kanda Realty at the time. Um, we didn't feel that we were very welcome or giving the, you know, the respect that we need to get as the largest shareholder. So uh, we took matters a bit more uh, to hands, and there was other investors who felt similar, um, in a similar way, and they were even way more active than us. Uh, so at the end of the day, we were able to to uh, get away and and basically gain control over the board of the REIT. At that point, we still didn't take over, but we already controlled uh, the board. Um, at some point, I guess, everybody realized that the best way for the street to move on is to be sold. Um, we immediately expressed interest in being buyers and had to. I had to exclude myself from any activity related uh, to that uh, transaction. And, um, you know, we gave the best bid eventually. I knew the property inside out and I could give the extra extra buck required to get the deal done uh, I'm happy that our bid was the first uh, and and won the uh, the race so we went from 20% ownership to 100% ownership in February of 2019 and we've been owning the REIT ever since and 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 very happy we've done a lot of great things with that with that group of assets we, we increased it we bought new assets but one of the things I find intriguing, and that's, I guess, the developer in me, we actually identified several sites, more than several sites, where you have very significant development upside. And the development upside can be 
for example, a large parking lot, uh, part of an office complex that is adjacent to neighborhoods and it's actually designated as mixed use and you could just build uh, condos on it or rental, you mm -hmm. build residential. And nobody ever thought about it, but us as developers, we could actually see that opportunity. So we started doing that. Or in other places, we had uh, a huge warehouse next to an, a field, an empty field the size of a football field that was, you know, uh, home to empty trucks or, or, or containers. So, okay, let's just expand and build another warehouse next to it. So we're doing that too. Wow. And there are places where we, we have a very successful, very good industrial building. But you know what? Hey, it's next to a very successful residential area. Let's demolish it and build, I don't know, a 12-story residential building. So we're doing that. That too. So there's a bunch of inherent uh, uh, value-added opportunities within the portfolio that I don't think anybody appreciated. To be honest, I don't think even we are fully appreciated before we took over and saw how well we can do with that. So that's that's part of the activities that we are doing now uh, with that portfolio. Beyond, of course, the continued growth of it and 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 management and operations of that's it. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really that's a really interesting story. I mean, we we all hear about the active investors coming in and shaking up the board. So it was, yeah. it was nasty are... for a while. <laughs> if you're talking about the proxy balance, yeah, there was this brief uh, time where we it was a bit nastier. Uh, you know, the way you find yourself hiring lawyers that defend against their lawyers saying nasty things about each other and everybody and it, it, it's not the way we like to do business I know like we're nice people okay <laughs> we like to do business we like to do things on a, sh on, a, on, a on a handshake uh, if you go around town and you ask anybody who ever did a, a deal with me you'll see that whatever we shook hands on when we met and agreed to is pretty much what ended up on closing day um, so we prefer to do business th that way uh, in a win-win situation we don't like to arm wrestle we don't like to fight our way through legal processes or through proxy battles or that sort of stuff. And I think the other party also appreciated that point that that it's probably not the best way uh, for us. You know, one of my philosophies is I, I'm, I'm a man of peace. I don't like war. But if I'm forced into battle, I'm going to win it. So, nice. so um, we ended up in a nicer uh, atmosphere and, uh, you know, after all said and done, it, it, it ended up nicely. But yeah, I, I know you're fair to probably what was in the media as a, yeah. a nasty bell. Yeah, that was <laughs> there was a bit of that too. It's part of the. Well, let's let, let's let's maybe take it back. I wanted to hit on those key points of those you know big transactions that you were involved in. But uh, well, actually, this isn't a small transaction. But let's let's go back to the you know the Emerald City acquisition. I thought that was a really uh, you know just fascinating you know city building exercise. Um, you know, with a unique vision, you you. Buy these uh, existing rental apartments. You have this huge master plan. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk recently about rental replacement and taking down rental replacement. How was the initial feedback when you when you first proposed that development? And 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 just maybe give us the whole nine yards on that approach because it's just a you know just a, such an undertaking and it's just a fascinating kind of story there. So I'll answer that question, but in a bit of a different way than you expect. So I, <laughs> I, I, I would not take credit for for Dermot city because it, uh, that, that acquisition, part of the Metca portfolio, was done before I joined the company. I'm happy, I'm proud to say that I brought it into fruition and, and did 
was in charge, was the CEO for the completion of the bulk of it. But I can't take, uh, I won't take credit for the vision. There were great other people. Uh, if I need to name one, I'll name uh, Udi Erez as one of the uh, visionaries for that plan. And uh, he was the CEO at the time that it was acquired. And uh, But we did use this uh, shtick, if you may, and applied it in, in other places. So basically the idea is you get, you buy an asset that is performing in of itself and holds its own weight, but it has excess land, um, green or, 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 or if it's a parking lot or if it's a, a underutilized um, uh, other assets that can be re easily replaced and maybe uh, maximize the utilization of the land and and you you cover those parcels you you bring on the density uh, working closely with the city the councillors and whoever you need to the communities and and, and and getting everything done and then bringing master plans into into life so uh, my answer to you would be more maybe for the Galleria project, which is a project that I uh, saw from start to finish, uh, an opportunity that came along uh, my way and and I can tell you that at a time it was presented to us we thought it was very risky and we were kind of thinking, should we do it, should we not? We had the vision and we said, you know what, let's go for it. It sounds like a good deal. We had a good partner at the time, which we bought subsequently, but said, let's, let's go ahead and do it. And I remember, I think it was the real estate forum that was shortly after we announced our acquisition a few months later. And, and you know, people came to me and said, Rafi, what are you doing? <laughs> like, we, we saw this like a year ago, two years ago. That there's nothing you can do there. What are you doing? Like, what's going on, buddy? And, um, and I didn't know what the hell they're talking about. I, I, I know it's, it's not what I see. So we, we started this, this uh, engagement process with the community. We didn't rush to a zoning. We wanted to do it a different way. We engaged the community. We got their feedback. We tried to create a master plan uh, that, that actually uh, adheres to everybody's concerns and as many people can find what they want to see in it from the city to the constituents to the community to the local church and local schools and, and local arts community and everybody. And then when we filed our, our, our zoning uh, and, and it was so well received, the same people came to me maybe you know, two years later and said, oh, we get it now. So, you know, sometimes you really need to think outside of the box. You know, we live in a magnificent city, but the city, as vast as it is, is limited. There's the green belt, there's the designated neighborhoods and areas that cannot be built, and there's really not that many pockets of intensification as people may think. Yet we, we get this amazing uh, uh, immigration and, and coming into the city and those people need to live somewhere you have to create those those areas for them to live and there's no more green fields and an empty parking lot you could just buy and say hey let's make a building here no you have to think outside of the box and that that thinking is by redevelopment of malls of of office complexes like the one we are now at in lsq or in in excess land on on other residential like was the case in emerald city and in our city nature project in montreal you have to find something where it's not that easily visible and noticeable okay so I think this is where we differentiated ourselves at the time from many others. Everybody learned this trick now, everybody's doing it now. I don't want to say that we were the pioneers, but in our minds, we're kind of uh, special about it. And, and today, I think this is exactly where our, our secret is. So we, we think we know how to make things work in a win-win, and we know how to exploit the most, maximize the potential of, of the land uh, that we acquire. So, you know, Galleria is a fine example of that, where we took a 
a, a, a rundown mall. And at the end of the day, not only are we adding 3,000 units, residential units, and 150 affordable units, we're actually increasing the number of retail space that was there before. So we actually have more retail than we had before, wow. plus 3,000 residential units and affordable and a brand new community center and a park and everything that goes along with that magnificent project. That's a way for one plus one to equal five. This is what we're looking for. Yeah. And we hope to replicate the same thing here at LSQ. That's interesting. Yeah, because I know there's been a lot of kind of pushback uh, in, in several communities about taking down grocery stores and then grocery stores not coming back or those grocery stores coming back as Loblaws instead of, you know, uh, food basics or fresh plus. Is there uh, plans to include a grocer in, this, in the new development? There? So absolutely. First of all, we introduced a grocery in our ML City project and that's a huge success. But also in the Galleria, one of the things that were very important for the councillor at the time, uh, Anna Bailao, was uh, one of the most important things for her and the community was that we keep the main basic services alive throughout construction. So, yeah, we had to demolish half of the mall to start the con, but the other half that was working actually had within it all the major services. So we kept the grocery, we kept the pharmacy, we kept the gym, we kept the pet store, we kept the bank. Those services continue to operate as we speak. We're, we're building three sites now within that three project. Yeah, three no, it's, we actually have the, the, uh, the first phase, which is about to be completed. Uh, it's going to start occupancy end of this year, early next year. We have the second phase that's actually been on the other side of the site okay, in excavation. And we have the community center being built. It's about halfway done or so wow. uh, on the southern uh, portion of the site. So we have three different construction sites. And yet you have a grocery, a pharmacy, a pet store, a gym, and a bank fully operationally throughout this. And they will continue to be operational through the completion. So as we build more retail spaces for them, we're going to relocate them to those retail uh, spaces. And, and, and then when they make room for the new development, only then we'll demolish that part and do the final phases of the development. So it, it did call us to make a very awkward phasing plan. Yeah. You start from the northwest, uh, then you start, you move to the northeast, then uh, minimally you work on the, uh, on the south, and then you go back to the center, and it's very, very <laughs> awkward, and it was very, very hard to, to wrap our head around it, but at the end of the day, that's what allowed us to really have this community, not only the, the, those services at the mall, but also the existing community center to remain active, the, the park to remain active throughout the completion until all of them are being replaced with newer and better uh, products. So in the case of the community center, for example, we're doubling the size of the, the Wallace Emerson community. Wow. In terms of the park from a, 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 a patch of grass that nobody, half of the people didn't even know existed, we created a fully animated uh, a program with with soccer fields and and, and skating trails and, and 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 you name it you got it. it this credit goes to the city of toronto by the way we're just facilitators we're we're happy to to be the project managers for that project but it's really kudos to the city uh, and the councillor that actually uh, seized the opportunity to join hands and join us in this application and create a masterpiece that is not only includes the development part of it, but also the community development. So everybody gets a new pool and a new community center, as I said, double the size and a very, very exciting new park. Um, a nice example of how municipalities and developers can work together solving 
Yeah, and, and I problems. wish these these stories got out more. It's there's so much seems to be so much bumping head between the development community and uh, and, and people about you know what the ultimate product is, and it's not affordable, and and yada yada yada. And I I wish we could you know when your project is done, take those people to to your project, take those people to Regent Park, and say you know just look at this city building exercise and the the new fields and the new part. Like I I take my kids over to Regent Park to play in the the playground. And like, oh, we want to go in the pool and, you know, just think of, you know, 20 years ago, <laughs> there's, there's no way I would have been taking my kids to, to, uh, to Regent Park, right? To, a lot, to of, play. It, a so. lot of it is coming from, you know, some of it is coming from ignorance, which is, which is understood. Not everybody's a developer and gets it. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess some of it is potentially maybe coming from more deliberate misrepresentations yeah. uh, made by those who have interested do so of the developers uh, community. Um, there are some people that, that think that painting us developers as a greedy monster that all we care about is profit is the right way to do. But I can tell you from personal knowledge of a lot of developers in the city and certainly testifying on ourselves, we are nowhere near it. So, yes, we are a for-profit corporation. We are in it to make money. But we also understand our responsibility and obligations to the affordability in the city of Toronto for for environmental causes uh, for supporting uh, you know uh, other causes within our communities and within our cities so it's not all just about the money for example at Galleria we agreed to provide all of our affordable units even before it was a thing we were among the first to do it before it was such a popular thing among developers or a requirement uh, we provided this affordable uh, very significant 150 affordable uh, units at the first phase wow. this is a very significant economic burden you can imagine the value mm -hmm. of those for financing is, is a bit lower it makes it much more harder for us to finance the project and yet we agreed to do it we agreed to provide the community center built in the early phases of the project not at the end of it mm -hmm. but before we complete the second phase the community will already have it's second phase out of five. The community will already have a fully operational uh, community center and, 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 and the park. So we understand what's important for the community and we do it. If you want to talk about Emerald City, we replaced uh, all the, all the um, uh, rentals with, with uh, rental buildings, but we also uh, contributed units, for example, for Habitat for Humanity, where families were able to move into our project um, you know, with preferred treatment, you know, based on those those uh, non-for-profit organizations. Um, and there are many cases like that uh, in all of our projects. So all of our sites would have a significant rental component, an affordable housing component. Uh, we also uh, look about things like, as I mentioned, uh, green standard and environment are super important for us. They will all have significant green space and park and, 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 and amenities. Uh, so we look we look far beyond just the dollar you make in terms of profit per per project, and I think it's time that more uh, people, uh, be it the municipalities at the provincial level, at the municipal level, and, and maybe the media and maybe other uh, others, uh, uh, stop looking at the developers as the enemy, but more of a of a partner that together we can solve the affordability problem in in the city of Toronto. There yeah. is a huge huge problem. The only way you can fix that problem uh, is by building more 
building more meaning that you want to create an equilibrium point between the supply and the demand. The demand is coming. The immigration to Canada is ever increasing. I think I just heard that we had a record-breaking yeah. first quarter immigration coming <laughs> yeah, to Canada. Over a million people. Uh, 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 I think we're already reaching 40 million uh, in population. Yep. Uh, a good chunk of those people, some say 30, some say 40, maybe even more percent, come to the GTA and the, and the surrounding areas. And they need to live. If we don't build enough housing units for them to live in, then you have a lot of demand on an ever-decreasing supply. And, and the result is Economics 101. Prices go up. Yep. No affordability. So the way to get this improved is not making it more tough for developers to build by increasing fees and increasing uh, development charges. And, and I know it sounds very populistic, uh, but it's, it's not the way. The way is to work together and find ways for us to build more responsibly, affordably, but build more. If we can get the level of supply closer to the level of demand, we can solve the affordability issue. There is, the way is there, but if it takes too long to get plans through, if development charges increase at a rate of 49% over two years <laughs> with you know, the expectation that developers just absorb it, yeah. with construction costs increasing over 20% annually, with the interest rate increasing, and, and think that with all of that happening, developers can just, you know, continue the same level of construction it, it's 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 not it's not yeah. it's not reasonable it's yeah. it it shows a lack of understanding of how economics yeah. work yeah it's a, la a lack yeah. of understanding just generally how business works to for someone to go to a public meeting and say you're greedy and this this development is going to hurt the property value of my home okay you're not being greedy and uh they're just trying to make money i'm like does the company you work for does that company make money? Yeah. <laughs> right. Everybody wants to solve the problem, <laughs> but nobody wants it to be solved in their backyard. So, yeah, yeah you, need, you need to build, but you know what? Not next to my community. <laughs> but the funny thing is, and again, it, it comes to ignorance, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I understand not everybody's exposed to the same data that, that, that I see, but we actually ran a, a study recently about the impact of successful major developments on the surrounding neighborhoods. And we found as something we felt, but it, it's very interesting to see it in numbers. And it wasn't just our projects. We, went, uh, we were focusing on, on York region. And we saw that neighborhoods surrounding successful development not only appreciated at the same rate of the average for York region. In fact, in most cases, almost all cases, they've significantly exceeded the appreciation of the average, meaning Building a development next to you actually makes the value of your house more, yeah. appreciate higher, at a higher pace than, than the average. And it makes sense, right? There's a name recognition that goes along with that. There's in, in investment in infrastructure. There's a lot of other amazing things that happen to facilitate this development, and you get to enjoy it. So the fear of, oh, yeah, yeah, build it, but not text to my door. I think a lot of it needs to be uh, uh, curved down by, by just looking at statistics, looking at data, looking at case studies of, of successful development uh, in history in the last five, 10 years in Toronto. And I think that would ease a lot of concerns for many, many people. It's yeah. just a matter of looking at the data correctly yeah. and for people to be shown the data yeah, in, we in, have in the this, right way. We have this discussion of, you know, where the city always talks about growth should pay for growth, which is this, you know, the silliest thing, you know, when 
and increasing, you know, like you said, development charges almost 50% in, in, in two years where, you know, they think that you just eat the cost. You know, yeah. <laughs> that the interest rates go up and the developer just says, okay, well, I'll just, instead of having a profit margin of 18%, it'll just be two. I'm, I'm fine with that, right? You know, yeah. the costs get passed on to the purchaser. So, you know, and it's not just, you know, your building's not just filled with immigrants, it's filled with locals. So if I have two kids and one lives in one of your new buildings and one goes and lives in an existing rental building, my one kid has to pay for growth and the other one doesn't have to pay for growth. It doesn't make any sense, right? Absolutely. If I've lived in this this city for 20 years and I pay my taxes, you know, you're, the, the city should be accommodating my, of, of my children and, and not even just because I've been here for 20 years, anyone that, that, that comes, you know, part of, part of, uh, having a dynamic city is, is growing that yeah. city. And, you know, uh, some of the, it's very funny you said that some of the, uh, I was just in, in, in a, a community consultation the other day. Uh, lucky you. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually love those. It's a very interesting way to, they're never nice. It's never about, <laughs> oh yes, we want to build that massive development. It's never, but it shows you where the mindset of the people uh, is. And, you know, some people got up to the stand and said, well, we don't want, uh, you know, people to, to like renters around us. That that would be, uh, you know, that, that would damage the value of our homes and whatever. And, and that's the only comment that I took offense. Yeah. I didn't hear them, you know, saying all the other uh, things again most of them are, are, are just based on, on not knowing the facts but but we can do that okay we are a diverse community of immigrants of, of, of people of all backgrounds I'm a proud immigrant of a foreign background and and renters don't decrease the value of your homes renters and immigrants enrich the community that you live in this is the one comment that I felt because all of our projects have renter component, as I said, affordable rental component. And as you said, a, a significant chunk of those units are being bought by investors, but the investors don't live in them. Who ends up living in those units? My kids, your kids, um, you know, all of us, all of us at some point in our life had to rent. We're nice people. We're good people. We, we don't take, <laughs> we don't take property value down. We enrich the environment where we live in. So, so I think we need to change a bit the way some people look at it. Uh, we talk about inclusivity and we talk about about uh, uh, diversity. And I think it comes, first of all, with not making comments like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Toronto is such an amazing city. I think I even mentioned it on the podcast. My son had has basketball on on, on, on Thursday's basketball training near the Danforth. So it's a little bit far from my house. So and I just drop him off and I just walk along the Danforth and eat at a different place every time. And it yeah. just, oh, some of the Middle Eastern food is just to die for. I went to a Venezuelan place. I went to a, a African Creole place the other day. It's just, you gotta, you know, just to be able to do that within a, a couple blocks to be able to try all these different foods. I mean, the one place was so, so good. The place, it looked like a dump in the <laughs> but the food was so good. I'm like, I'm, I'm craving it right now. I'm wanting to drive over. It was just so amazing. And it's just, that's the kind of experience that we want and to, to push away immigrants uh, and push away, you know, new people in the city or have people forced to move away because they can't afford anything. That's just, it's, it's really, uh, you know, uh, a devastating thing. And it's not, not really a question there, but just, uh, you know, some commentary on how amazing it is to have the diversity that we have in this, in, in this city. Agree. So, and, and even though I'm, you know, about the whitest person you've ever seen, my mother's an immigrant. So, <laughs> so I know, I know a little bit about, about 
about the, uh, the immigrant experience. But uh, I think it's probably time. We are in the sales office for LSQ, you yeah. know, your Lansing Square development, uh, uh, Victoria Park and Shepherd, kind of on the border of, you know, the former cities of North York and Scarborough. And I, uh, I, I wanted to, to read off a, a quote here because I thought that was, was <laughs> it's a little bit funny, but I, I wanted to, uh, to, to read it off. So, so Rod Pell, associate architect at Walmart Architects, said the following about the first phase. Designing LSQ1, the flagship building, was no small feat. We wanted to create a respectful and modern design that is functional, timeless, and fosters an exceptional sense of community. Is this just BS architectural talk or or is timeless development something that, that, that you really want? It tells, you know, I know it's a little tongue in cheek, but tell us a bit about the design here and the project and, and, uh, and what you wanted. And then what kind of direction did you give the architect? Absolutely. If you look at all of our projects, we try to do something unique. We try, we want our projects to have some sort of architectural statement uh, that goes beyond your typical cookie cutter buildings. Nothing is easier than building the, a building that looks exactly like the, like the tower next door. Okay, That will be the cheapest and the easiest way for us to go. But it's not who we are. We want to make things special. We think people value uh, special architecture and, and they want to be associated, they want to live, they want to rent in a place where that has those those architectural attributes uh, to it. So um, LSQ is no different than any of our other uh, beloved uh, projects. And, and, and we, 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 ha- oh, we had several rounds there. At, uh, <laughs> at some point, really, I started feeling bad for them. We kept coming back. No, well, let's change this and let's do that and let's add this and let's remove that. It was, it, it was a bit of a lengthy process, probably more than they ever expected. <laughs> That's probably what prompted his, his comment. But we are beyond happy with the results. Uh, um, kudos to the, to, you know, uh, to Walmart Architects that they're amazing. But uh, it, we really f- wanted to create something that is um, modern but unique. Something that you want. If if you see it, you know it. You know that this is it. It, it doesn't look exactly like something else. And and uh, yeah, I, I stand behind his words. It was a very very uh, lengthy design process, <laughs> inside and out. And I think that's part of the secret for the great success that it had. You know, we had to launch in a very difficult time uh, in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people said, oh, "Maybe you guys want to wait a bit." Yeah. And we said, "You know what? No, we believe in our in our project. We're strong believers in North York. We had such a successful community built at Emerald City." Uh, you know, two blocks to the west, and and we really feel for this area, and we think it's, we think the, the market would see the benefits that we see in it, and I'm happy to say that we are right. This was a tremendous success, well above and beyond anything we could have expected. The first tower, and we look forward to launching our, our next one. And again, people say, hey, maybe you want to wait? No, we're now waiting. We're going to do it uh, at a planned time. We're going to do it uh, well, and and we think again we'll get the same admiration and respect and support from the community because it is a very, very well thought through uh, project. We build master plan communities. It's not just a fancy word. It's not a single tower or two towers. Today, everybody that builds three, four towers says, oh, it's a master plan. No, it's not. The thought process of a master plan starts from the from the from the grid, from the from the, the roads network to where the pops are going to be located, the, the 
privately owned uh, public spaces, where the uh, park is going to be, where the public art is going to be, how the buildings relate to each other, how to maximize the views of each building, how to maximize the walkability, how to create the, the there's so many and, and, and traffic and everything goes into a very, very extensive program that eventually uh, you know uh, is, is, is far greater than some of its parts okay it's, it's, it's really something that is that is uh, more complete and more holistic than just a single building so people do appreciate it it also translates obviously economically you see the appreciation in multiple communities is usually substantially significant uh, compared to a standalone project so that that's part of the game as well and 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 you see you know we, we spoke before about about who's buying, you know? Is it this group, it's that group? And I say, it's all of them. You know who's buying? Toronto is buying, <laughs> Canada is buying, okay? So we have people from this background and from that background. We have old and we have young, and we have empty nesters, we have, we have young professionals, and we have, we have families, and, and, and you have a very, very nice mix, a, very, a nice diverse mix, a snapshot of Canadian society in our project. So. All of those together, the architecture and, and all the other things I've mentioned, create this, this product that we're super proud of. And uh, I'm happy to see the success came with it. It's, it was very important for us as a first phase. I think when you, when, when you acquired this property, there was probably more um, enthusiasm towards the uh, subway continuing this way. The uh, line four Shepherd being extended. Are you disappointed that that hasn't come to fruition? And 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 if you, do you have any inside information if that's ever going to get funded? Because <laughs> so, that would certainly increase even absolutely. increase the value of this project even more, right? Absolutely. First of all, we're still hopeful, and as far as I know, there's still studies going on. There's still plans to, to to get this going. There's obviously a lot of changes and a lot of hiccups along the way because of other projects that uh, have have not gone uh, have not be completed yet but uh, uh, there is uh, there is the hope it's it, it's still in the works of the best of our plan it's still in the long-term plan yeah. to, to have the LRT extension and that it's actually has supposed to have planned to have a station right on or adjacent to our site. And so, so that, do you have to keep a, a, a part of the property open for not that? on our property no. but there are properties there okay. are areas uh, around our properties that are probably going to be designated for that purpose. Okay, interesting. So, so to the best of my knowledge, it's still, it's still in the works. But yes, like often often those things take more time than, than you want. I mean, I remember it was funny. I, it was like, I think five years ago, there were projects around us that uh, that put a future LRT extension on their hoarding. Those projects are complete. They're done. You forgot you ever bought them and there's yeah. no LRT yet. But it, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. It, will come. it has to come because this area is, is developing rapidly. A lot of uh, uh, people realize that you're living. First of all, it's, it's, it's the second largest employment hub outside of the, of the uh, Toronto downtown. There's over 20,000 people that work here, and you have hundreds of thousands of people that live here within you know a 10 a 10 kilometer radius. And you have so many communities coming. Just just drive along Shepherd. Just drive along Shepherd. There's a, a nice community now coming on the Fairview Mall. There's our community across the street, uh, you know the Emerald City, and you see all the the um, and the Monarch and the, the Tribute and the Tridel and all the other uh, great communities that are built along our way, all the way to LSQ. Thousands and thousands and thousands of family are here. Appreciate how it's a place that allows you to be within very short drive from downtown Toronto, but not have the hassle of downtown Toronto and certainly not have the affordability issue of downtown Toronto. So um, 
uh, I would imagine that the provincial level and, and at the municipal level, connecting uh, these these areas of North York and further on Scarborough, uh, and in the future probably Markham, to the to the subway system, but where we LRT or, or or below grade or above grade, it's not an an if, it's a when and it's a must. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's actually kind of interesting how. The market down. Usually, when there's a you know any type of recessionary period or a slowdown in the new condo market, there's a you know a flight to quality, but that the flight to quality has almost always been downtown. But that's really not been the case right now. The downtown there seems to be a much bigger disconnect between resale values and 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 new condo values, and there's been a, a rush to to the top developers, but the top developers in like the outer 416 have been the most successful because there seems to be a little bit more of a connection between, you know, what you can charge for your product and 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 where the resale market is. So it's kind of interesting that that right. this shift in the market has, has has happened and then it really needs to be an adjustment in in values downtown. Not really a question there, but it was just a, a comment on based, yeah, based on what you were saying. So, you know, one more question before I jump into the rapid fire here. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about COVID and the the impacts that it had on on you selling the company, but it also had a, has an impact on obviously working from home. That's been yeah. you know the uh, you know a continuous talking point. Um, and does that require you to design units differently? So, in the way, way, way I'm seeing is that you know you have you know, a lot of dens, you know, being programmed in these new projects, and they don't have windows. We have a lot of you know two-bedroom units with a sunken or interior bedroom. It almost seems logical in the work-from-home era to have a den with a window and a bedroom without a window, (laughs) right? Because if you're spending eight hours working, you want your den to have a window and not your bedroom where you're just sleeping. So have you been forced to to switch, you know, the way you do in the designs of any of these units that are still pushed back from the community to design things the way that they were before? Well, it's it's there is there there is adjustment. You have to make adjustments. And by the way, it's not just about COVID. Before we go into the great plan of, of designing uh, floor plans, we, we we need to understand better where the market lies. Market taste changes. You know, there's always different triggers and different cycles, and and market changes. We were never that big on what I fondly refer to as dog houses. Okay, I was never <laughs> happy about those. 500 square foot, one bedroom uh, condo. I know it's a great product. I know investors love it. I know it's very common in in the in, you know in the downtown Toronto core. But I think that's part of the things that attract people outside of the Toronto core is that you know you can get for the same or sometimes even less money a better quality, a better uh, space uh, uh, to live in. So we were never friends of of that concept and our our. Our design were always always had like families in mind, so we always tend to be a bit larger in our units. And I know it's not the most economical thing, but yeah. as I told you, we don't just think about the the buck here. Mm-hmm. So we did want to do. Uh, we have um, a, a large diversity of, of larger bedrooms, uh, two and three bedrooms. We introduce a lot of uh, flex, which is allows you to have uh, you know. It's bigger than a den. It's not a legal bedroom, but it can serve as both. And and we had to create, think more about both entertainment room in the unit and, as well as work area at the unit, which you didn't really think about before. Before the apartments, you know, were basically the condos were just to, where you 
put your head to sleep and then the moment you leave you enjoy the amenities and go out and yeah. end about and uh, but you see more and more people stay more and more at home as you correctly pointed out either working from home or just spending more time home than they used to because of everything that's around us and uh, you have to design accordingly so yes we did design it uh, regardless of that but in addition to that in, in a more um, you know more spacious where possible. We do have the smaller units as well to offer if that's what you want, but we have a lot of family size units. In fact, LSQ has, uh, I would argue, one of the largest, some of the largest floor plans for two bedrooms or three bedrooms. We have a, a, a couple of, of uh, groups of very large two bedrooms plus den or three bedrooms plus den that can really accommodate a very conveniently a family uh, with kids. Um, so we, we have, we're very diverse in that. Uh, you would see it also in our in our other projects, um, predominantly in the gallery on the park. Uh, we think about about those things all the time. The other part where we saw COVID make a, a difference was probably in our office portfolio. Exactly for that, the more <laughs> the more people work from home, the less space companies, corporates need for their own offices. So you yeah. see uh, downsizing and then that sort of things happening. And I think over there as well, we realized that while office is not maybe as, as um, uh, growing in the pace that we thought it will before COVID when we bought the site, I, I had to disappoint everybody, but office is not that, it's not that and it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the growth is a bit slower, but we see more and more and more uh, coming. Even those that, that have a partial work week uh, from home still need a, a space to be, and we started to see a recovery in that market as well, albeit slower than we expected. Mm-hmm. And I think now with COVID essentially being a thing of the past um, in, in, in most aspects, uh, uh, you see more and more companies going back to full week work from office or, or you know, maybe require three or four days a week at the office. So you're starting to see the demand for office as well uh, increasing. But to be super efficient with that, we, we are also figuring out other ways to utilize what we refer to as employment space. So it does not have to be office. It can be other things, for example, self-storage um, or, or, or community offices or, or other areas where, where you can utilize non-residential employment area uh, and make something that is useful economically, but also useful for the community. Yeah. So it's one of those areas where you also have to a bit think outside of the box. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting because I, I did a uh, guest lecture at, at at York University maybe a, uh, two months ago or so, and I I just asked I just asked the class like who you know wants to work from home. Uh, when they when they start their career, and I was a little surprised that fifty percent of the people put their hands up, right? And uh, it was it was almost disappointed to see it because, you know, I think so much of the success that I've had in my career personally is just talking to people. That's why I love doing a podcast because right. I gain so much knowledge by talking to so many different people that work within this industry, and 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 even in you know the jobs that I've worked. You know, my bosses, I've always just asked them a million questions. How does this work? How does that work? How do, you know, just to put all the, the pieces together. And I just don't think you can have the same thing when your office is not next to someone and you're just, you know, seeing them on a screen. And uh, I just think there's so much of the social aspect. I mean, I have I have people call me for consulting reports. They go, hey, Ben, how's it going? I haven't talked to this person in 15 years. <laughs> you know, they say, hey, Ben, how's it going? I need a report, right? It's just shocking because I we had great conversations at these real estate events 15 years ago, right? 
So I I hope that you know the office doesn't die and that that uh, uh, that people start to going back start going back to work and and that we actually get the transit that we're promised so we can get these people exactly. to those those uh, those, it all, it all those offices. Together, right? right. I feel exactly the same as you. And maybe maybe I'm a dinosaur. I don't know. But I just find I put so much value in those those hallway discussions those the, the sense of belonging to to a to a uh, to a company to a corporate to a group uh, it, it cannot be achieved with a teams or a, a, a webex call and i yeah. don't care what uh, some people say uh, meeting for you know having coffee together uh, in between meetings and, and chatting about this and that and raising it and brainstorming and yeah. hey you know what this and that uh, nothing can replace that and I think we're social creatures we, we need to be around other people and it's not so much of our, about punching the clock on when you showed up and when you left the office but it's just being in that environment of of of, of uh, nourishment when when you, you 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 hear you speak you talk you engage with others uh, and and i think it grows not only better for the company but also grows you grows your career uh, helps you develop and and and, and really become better um, sticking to your your rebex sessions is probably going to put you in the same place eventually but i i you know i know that i'm i'm, I'm a bit uh, <laughs> anachronistic here i know that i'm a bit of a dinosaur in that regards and the younger you go the the more they want to work from home yeah i, I hope it changes yeah. i really hope it changes I, it's i heard an interesting story there was a a researcher in the united states and they were they were searching for us they were doing work on us patents and so there had always been this you know general increase in in patents on a on a on an annual basis obviously because the united states States was was growing, but there was a, was a period of a couple of years where the patents were way down, and they're trying to understand why the pattern was broken, and they're trying to look and look and see, you know, what happened in those couple of years, and then they found out that those are the years where there was prohibition in the United States. So people weren't going out and socializing and drinking together and coming up with ideas and brainstorming and, and doing all this stuff. So it's kind of, oh. you know, the craziest thing that Amazing. people weren't getting together yeah. and socializing and coming up with new ideas. And that led to a, a decrease in patents. So, so just a, a kind of funny story that, you know, this socializing and getting together and, yeah. and, and brainstorming can come up with so many uh, so many great ideas but uh, I think we, we, we've, we've almost come to the end and we have this little section at the end of every podcast called the rapid fire so basically I'm going to hit you with uh, 10 questions there you know we're kind of looking for the 5 to 10 word responses you can you can pass if you want but you know no, no one likes people that pass so most of them will be real estate related but I might sneak something in there uh, that's that's it's not real estate. So, y'all set? I'm ready. All right. Are the Toronto Green Building Standards too onerous and expensive? No. Oh, they're, okay. they're, they need to be there. They're the right thing, and, and we support it. Okay, perfect. Uh, where do you get your news these days? Uh, it's all coming from, from social media and, social. And, and web, I must say. I, I'm, I would I still listen to the radio, but I, I have my concerns about the... Um, the, the level of information that I'm getting uh, through the the commercial traditional media, traditional yeah. media, yeah, <laughs> I, I have my. I think there's a lot of color there that shouldn't be there. Where do you start when you're looking to add an employee to the Almadev team? 
I will first call people that I know and I would like to find someone that I have close reference to. If not, then you always go to the headhunters of the world. Uh, but my initial inclination would always be start with your networks. Ask around. Yeah. Do you know somebody good that can fit our team? Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, so we experienced bubble-like price gains in 2022. Do you put any blame on the mortgage lenders for making it too easy to access capital? No, it's not the mortgage lenders. They're doing their show. I can I, I can tell you that I, I, I blame a lot of others. I think we touched <laughs> some of them uh, at, at all municipal and uh, provincial and federal uh, levels, but you can't blame the can't lenders. Blame lenders. Okay, that's fair. Should the city of Toronto allow above-grade wrapped parking in new apartment projects? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they don't realize it's not because it makes more money. It just makes more sense. We have a water problem. We have a, a contamination problem. To build below grade is very, very, very expensive. As we said, when costs rise for the developer, the price of units rise for the buyers. So this is a one way where you can easily, easily make things cheaper for everyone. Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey? Adam Sandler, all the way, man. <laughs> Should developers respect the character of the neighborhood or just design the best looking building they can? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'll be diplomatic and I'll say that you can have both. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, here's an interesting one. If you had the power to fire one person from their job, any company or government organization anywhere in the world, who would it be? I would fire Putin. <laughs> that's if you open it up, that is a very that's good my answer. Guy. That is a very good answer. Um, co-working spaces are clearly the newest must-have amenity in new condo projects. What's next on the list? Are we talking social media recording rooms, Zoom meeting rooms, meditation rooms? What do you What do you have for so us? So all of the above. But let me let me just say something else about. I just heard a concept for somebody that I I, I truly appreciate their opinion, and they said that maybe it's time to trend the other way. Those extra amenities are, are mandatory. You have to build them. And, but they have a lot of costs. They have a lot of running costs. And those, those costs eventually jack up the, the, the cost of the condo fees and make affordability more of a problem. Yeah. How about we have less amenities, have more public amenities? Let's have those recording places in the local community center. Yeah. Let's have those spaces uh, in, in the open park, not so much in the private condominium, lower the cost of the maintenance and this uh, increase the affordability. So it's a, just a concept. Yeah. We're not there yet. Yeah. We're still bound by the rules of Toronto. We have to build a certain amount of amenities and we build and exceed that. So we have a full variety from, from animal, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what I call a poopery, uh, and all the way to, uh, to your, your pools and your spas and your guests and your kitchen chef and, and, and your recording studios and a library and everything you can imagine but it's a nice thing to think maybe we should have less and yeah. not more of that yeah no it is it is interesting because you know talking to some you know i'm going off topic but going talking to some u.s you know apartment operators they're trying to reduce the amount of amenities one <laughs> as much as they can right they're like that's just a cost that's just non-revenue generating space we say we we don't want that whereas there seems to be a little bit of an arms race in our market to have the most amenities the craziest amenities to to you know as we do. we do we're part of this race it's just yeah. You know, yeah, at just, the yeah. end, it comes with a cost. Yeah, it's and sometimes great to have it's just, you know, you're you're going after an investor who doesn't actually ever live in the building and use that social media room. So anyways, so uh, last question. 
Is there a purchase incentive that is working to move units for you these days? These days, I would say the most effective one would be uh, the deposit structure. We offer a very, very generous wide deposit structure. Effectively, you pay 5% each year. Uh, and we found that to be the most compelling one to all. You, you, we, have, we don't really need to do that much because our project speaks for itself and it's priced right. So we don't need to go through all those that uh, you know hurdles that uh, jump through hoops that some other developers may need to. But if there's one thing I need to point out of a, a group of great incentives uh, package that we have, it will be the deposit structure for nice. sure. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's all I had for you. I thank you very much. If, if someone wants to get a hold of you, is there a, a you know, social media or, or, or elsewhere? How do, how do they do it? Absolutely. Almadev.ca is our website. You have a contact us. You can reach us with any question or concern. Uh, I just ask for Rafi. I'll, 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 I'll get your message. I will promise I'll get back to you. That's uh, awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. And that's a wrap. Thank you very much. That was so much fun. Thank you so much. <laughs>